Hey, good evening and welcome to First. My name is Daniel and I'm our groups pastor. And whether you got drug here or you're here willfully, we're really thankful that you're here with us for Christmas Eve. And one of the things I'm recognizing is that in the frenetic pace of everything that's going on this time of the year, it's great to have this excuse to just stop and for things to be different for a little bit, for things to slow down and for us to just get to experience Christmas, if only it was ever that way, right? And I've been learning that I don't do a good job at slowing down. And one of these reasons is because the pace I like to go at all the time, my family doesn't like to go at that same pace. And so a tradition that we developed on accident over a course of a few years in a row was seeing how late we could do our family dinner on Christmas Eve every year. And some of you are like, I really resonate with this right now. So we pushed it back and back and back and back until one year we literally ate Christmas dinner at 12.30 in the morning. And you all are just like thinking, wow. And I have survived to tell the tale, so thank you for your concern. I appreciate that. But one of the other things I'm recognizing is it's just not me who's bad at slowing down. It's a lot of people in our community and in our lives that we're around a lot of the time. Uh, I was actually just at my wife's dad's side of the family's Christmas gathering last weekend, and my wife's stepsister brought over a boyfriend from England. And that was just really cool because I got to listen to his voice for like four or five hours for starters. But beyond that, I got to learn a little bit about how even culture in the United Kingdom and culture here in the States is a little bit different. One of the things he told me is that when you start out in your career, you get six weeks standard vacation at a lot of places. And I'm like, I'm about to take a trip across the pond or something like that. And then beyond that, one of the things he said is, as a standard measure, almost everything shuts down for two weeks around Christmas. Which some of you, that's just causing you anxiety because you realize you missed the Amazon Prime deadline with it being the 24th right now. But all that said, you ever wonder how crazy it is that we find it normal to spend more time with our coworkers than with our best friends and family? That's just kind of how we are. That's our baseline that we start from. We are really proud to go by the mantra of 24-7, 365 with a half day off for Thanksgiving so we can get to Black Friday and then the day off for Christmas and then we're all mad that Starbucks isn't open, right? That's the way that our culture works. And so the world is pretty frenetic and fast in the culture that we live in. And although things may have been a little bit slower in the time that Jesus came to this earth, I'm seeing a lot of similarities between the world that we live in and the world that he came into because it was a world full of worries and fear and anxiety just like ours, even if they're a bit different. And this is what I'm finding out. The world that we live in keeps us engulfed in things that don't matter very much and keeps us detached from the things that matter most, like your family, like those significant moments that you think they're just going to keep coming, but the kids are going to grow up and the seasons are going to change. Now, what I'm finding out even more than that is that if we don't come to stillness, if we don't just calm down and sit still for a minute, I think a lot of us will miss the point about what life is really about. So, as we're sitting still, what we believe as Christ followers is in a God who stands before everything and created everything we could ever see or imagine. And then he created us, and his desire for us was to help build and create a world that is worth living in. And I got to ask, how good are we as people doing at making this a world worth living in all the time? 
Sometimes good, sometimes not so good. Because when we look at the world, doesn't it make you want to detach from it just a little bit? Even if you just tune in to Fox News or CNN for just like a half second, you're just like, wow, I'm depressed right now. I don't want to be this depressed. Polarization between political parties, hostilities between different people groups, brokenness even in our own families where we can't sit down and have a civil conversation at Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner. There's a lot of division in our world. And if we're being honest, the most we could ever hope for is just kind of hitting off our little cocoon to the side to swing all of our family into so we can just be safe from all the chaos that's going on all around the world. Now, it's easy to point the finger and say it's this person's fault or this person's fault. No matter whose fault it is, it's fair to say our world is full of chaos. And while we want to detach from it all, the thing that is so profound is that God does the exact opposite thing when things get chaotic. God doesn't run away from the chaos. He runs to the mess. And he does it in incredibly unexpected ways. There was a first century family, Jewish family, betrothed to be married to one another. The girl was most likely a teenager. And yeah, they were a lower class family. And then the girl starts to claim that she is with child, but the Holy Spirit did it. <laughs> you ever think about how absurd that is, that that's the thing that we, like, that's the start of our Christmas story. And not only is that happened, but when the child is born, all these people come to believe that this child, the man he became, was the living embodiment of the God who created everything. He was God with skin on. Isn't that incredible? Born in a stall in a tiny town outside of the ancient Israelite community, Jerusalem, called Bethlehem. Because there was no room for the lady who was with child to have the kid. She had to have the child in the manger. This is the life that Jesus chose. He came to a hostile world and he jumped all the way in. Before he could even walk or talk, have you ever thought about this? Jesus was a refugee running for his life before he could ever walk or talk. The governor of his region wanted to kill him because he'd heard a prophecy about this Jesus and was scared and power hungry. So Jesus was acquainted with danger and he was acquainted with heartbreak. From what we can tell, by the time he was an adult man or a young adult, he had lost his earthly father figure. So he was acquainted with sorrow and grief. But when he grew up, he grew to be a bold and wise man who bucked the system of religiosity that was in place and spoke hope and peace to people who didn't have hope and peace. And ultimately, at the end of his exemplary life, he subjected himself to death. Death on a Roman cross. And then it gets even crazier. Because if the Holy Spirit thing or the living embodiment of God thing wasn't good enough, all of a sudden, after Jesus dies, hundreds upon hundreds of his followers claim that they saw him risen from the dead. And they would even claim that in Jesus, in hoping in this Jesus, all who would hope in him would receive life and forgiveness from the darkness and despair that cripples our human condition and find freedom from the death that has conquered us over and over and over again. So Jesus had a friend named John who was really close to him, and John said this about his friend Jesus. He said, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness 
hasn't overcome it. And so I wonder, is there really a solution to all the darkness that exists in the world that we live in? Is there really a solution to the depression that is so subsuming you in this season that you're not sure if you're going to make it to January 1? Is there anything to hope in? Well, the verdict is this. The claim of Jesus' followers is that in Jesus, light conquers darkness, even in the bleakest of circumstances. And let me tell you, this isn't the power of positive thinking. This isn't just another self-help trick. This is not blind optimism. This is the obstinate belief that Jesus rose from the dead. And that because of that, we have this unshakable hope that God isn't just sitting up in the clouds, thumbing his nose at us and pointing out what a mess we've made of the world. No, he's running to us. He's for us. He is God with us. And he is so for us that he'd walk in our shoes and live our life. And die our deaths so that we might become children of God. Now, you could know that. You could believe that in your head. And you could totally miss the point of everything that's going on here. And the reality shift that occurred when Jesus, the eternal son of God, became a man and took on flesh. Because Jesus, he didn't just live to clean up a mess. It's even better than that. He lived to know us. Or better yet, he lived so that we might be known by him. He lived so that you and I could know the source of life itself. And so his friend John wrapped it up by saying this. He said, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. I'm sure you've heard a story like this before. I'm sure someone's gotten up on stage and talked about Jesus to you before, too. But I'm just going to ask you to do something with me. Would you hold still for just a second? I know there's a family gathering that you're late to right now. I know the anxiety is creeping up on you because of the gift that you forgot and you're about to go to the gathering with, like, a gift card that you printed off online from your cell phone, right? There's some of us like that. I know 2019 is breathing down your neck right now. And that you're stressed out. And all those things may be true. But there is something truer than the hustle and bustle of your life. And the worries and the anxieties and the fears that we have. The truth is that in Jesus, we are children of God. And so Christmas is an opportunity for us to decide who is the center of the universe. Is it me with my hustle and bustle and my anxiety and my fear and my depression? And whatever else that God certainly cares about. Or... Is it the Son of God born into the most humble circumstances imaginable, born into poverty, born into danger, who lives, dies, and raises himself up from the dead so that we can be a part of God's family? Just hold still for a second. The light is coming. In Jesus, the light is here. We're going to move to a time of response now. And you've gone through the hula hoops. You've gotten to Christmas Eve service. You've heard the message. And a lot of us are still thinking, and fairly so, that a lot of this sounds completely implausible. That whole story about a virgin giving birth to the Son of God and Him dying and reconciling our world to God. 
Or maybe you're just sitting here thinking, yeah, that's a pretty powerful story on its own merits, but when I look at Christians, I just see a bunch of people who aren't really running to the darkness with the light and hope of Jesus, but they're just cartooning themselves off from the rest of society and trying to make best for their family while the rest of the world perishes. And I'd say a lot of the times that's a really fair critique because when we look around, we don't see a lot of the generosity that Jesus displayed. When we think about the high standard of his death, we don't see that type of ridiculous generosity playing out in our day-to-day lives a lot of the time. And so when we think about what it might look like to run to the darkness with the light of Jesus, Jesus had another friend, Matthew, who knew firsthand because he was a tax collector, he was a scoundrel, he stole money from people, that the life of following Jesus was so opposite from cocooning yourself off from the rest of the world. And so Matthew shared this direct quote from Jesus. He said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp to put it under a bowl. Instead, what they do is they put it up on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. So in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus didn't step into our shoes, live our life, die our death, and rise again just so we could keep the light to ourselves. No, instead, he gives light so that we can go sprinting to the darkness with hope that transcends all the evils that this world has to offer. And so the verdict is this, darkness doesn't win. But God is still looking for partners to help make this world a place worth living in. And so here's how we do that. In a moment like this, we stand still for just long enough to dwell upon the beauty of the light that is Jesus, God with us. And we take that source of strength and we run to the places where people would least expect us to go. So we're going to do a few things that are a little out of the ordinary to you if you're a visitor with us. We respond because we want to mark these moments that we're surrendering to Jesus in a time like this. And so the first thing that you're going to see us do together as a church and as a service is we're going to celebrate a simple meal that Christians have been calling communion for a long time. And what this is, is at the six tables surrounding the room, you're going to have an opportunity to move and take a little piece of bread that represents Jesus' body and a little cup of juice representing Jesus' blood. And partake of those elements, not for a nutritious treat because you're going to leave dissatisfied if that's what you're looking into right now, but because we recognize the thing that draws us together, that draws all Christians together everywhere is nothing other than the broken body and the spilt blood of that baby that was born in a manger 2,000 years ago. And so this isn't a guilt trip. You don't have to do this, but if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, I would just plead with you, take this opportunity to remember him and he being the central thing that draws us all together. Other than that, you're going to see people moving to give tangibly in this time. We've been doing a Christmas offering for the last four or five weeks, and we're really excited to propel culture of generosity, both in the mission of our church locally, but just to be generous to some organizations across the world. And so this isn't a guilt trip to you, but if you have planned to give in this way, I want you to use this opportunity to take that gift and put them in the given respond boxes, 
or you can use the Give app that we talk about all the time. We'd love your partnership and going after the darkness with everything we have, with the light of Jesus. But the final thing I want to encourage you to do in this time is to really just be still. We have these prayer benches at the front of the stage because a lot of the time what we need is a tangible act of surrender. And you will see people go up to these prayer benches and bow on their knees, maybe as a family, maybe as individuals. But this is just an opportunity for us to say, Jesus, you were the light of the world. Send me out to where you would have me go. Whether you're being sent on a mission today or you need to surrender to Jesus for the first time, you have an opportunity to do that. And you can do that right where you're sitting or you can do that at the prayer benches in front of the stage. So with all that said, remember this. If we don't come to stillness, we might miss the reason why we're living this life in the first place. So today, my plea to you is to hold up the hope of Jesus, because he's the light of the world. Would you do this? Would you stand with me? You're going to be able to respond during this next song, and let's pray before we respond. Jesus, uh, I often take for granted the fact that you came to us in such a humble fashion. You are eternal God, yet there is nothing too small or insignificant that you wouldn't be willing to do to rescue and redeem us. And there's not one of us who isn't immensely valuable to you and to your Father. So I pray as we receive and are still in this moment the truth of your light that overcomes all darkness, would really bring us to awe and wonder, that you would wreck us with this ridiculous reality that you are God with us. Help us to be in tune enough to recognize that. God, I pray that you would surprise us with the life change that occurs when we come to stillness before you. We lift this up to you and we praise you and we pray this in your name, Jesus.